Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. And Wilsey Asset Management is the proud investing partners of the San Diego Padres. Thanks for joining the show today. we got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, we had the jobs report came out, so we're going to talk about the jobs report. And also with the jobs report that is always preceded by the job openings, which is called the JOLTS job opening labor turnover survey. We'll discuss that as well. Um, also to talk about shopping malls, what's going on there, probably worse than maybe expected, but there are some bright spots there. We'll discuss that. And also to trucking company, yellow truck. Well, unfortunately they got the red sign. They are no longer, well, they'll probably still be in business, but operating on a bankruptcy. Chase, what do you got? Well, hey, as always, you want to join the show so you don't buy a yellow truck coming and goes bankrupt. If you got a stock you're looking at buying, selling, or holding, give us a call here. We'll break down those fundamentals for you. Phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Okay, well, let's get started with the jobs report because that's always a big thing, and it really moves, uh, you know, can move the market, can move interest rates, uh, concern about inflation. You want a market or a jobs market that's doing okay, but yet you want some negative signs, so there's no risk of the Federal Reserve raising rates. So let's talk about the report. Uh, the jobs report showed non-farm payrolls grew by 187,000 in the month of July, which missed the estimate of 200,000, which is a good thing because that is kind of on the negative side for the Federal Reserve. The unemployment rate did tick down, however, to 3.5% versus the estimate it would hold at 3.6%. Now, areas of strength included healthcare and social uh, assistance, up 87,100 jobs were added. Construction surprised me a little bit here, up 19,000. And leisure and hospitality, no surprise here, a positive 17,000. Healthcare in particular has been on fire lately as that has accounted for 35% of the job gains in the past three months. Now, there were also some signs of weakness, unfortunately, in the economy, which included manufacturing. That was down 2,000 jobs. Professional and business services down 8,000. Transportation and warehousing were down 8,400. And then information was actually down 12,000. Now, I did want to point out, looking at manufacturing, it's kind of interesting. It was down, but, you know, we talk a lot about these manufacturing plants mm -hmm. that are being built. So it's kind of funny because I think that's where the construction jobs are coming from is to build these plants. But the manufacturing jobs aren't there yet because the plants aren't finished. So you could see runway in the manufacturing sector over the next couple hey, of years. you got to build the manufacturing plants to have the workers do the manufacturing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but also to uh, look at professional and business services, they were actually weighed down by a loss of more than 22,000 jobs for temporary help services. And a lot of people pointed this to as an, uh, a negative. And I still think that it could be positive because there's a lot of people that we know are trying to keep their employees and we know how hard it is to train employees and to, you know, get new ones essentially. Right. So it could be that more companies are shifting away from temporary just to try and find those permanent workers. And I, I don't necessarily think it's good news or bad news. I think people are just trying to correlate the fact that this was an issue back in, I think, 2006 and 2000. 
thousand before the last two kind of recessions and, there. And it's always been kind of a, a thing they look at that temporary workers means that you're so busy you have to hire temporary yeah. workers. Where when things slow down you're gonna get rid of them. But I think we have a different job market, different employers to where you, that doesn't apply any longer. Yeah, I, I just you know, people will try and pick out one thing that was the same as in like 2006, 2007 yeah. and be like, oh, it's going to happen again. And it's like, that's just one little factor. You're not looking, we talk a lot about the debt levels in 2007, right. debt levels are nowhere near that. So I'm not worried about it. About it. We'll keep an eye on the, the overall employment situation, but the, the temporary help, especially being such a small part of the economy, I don't think is a big deal. The other thing I did want to point out was wages were actually a positive in the report as average hourly earnings grew 4.4% compared to last year. This surpassed the estimate of 4.2%. And when I look at it, is at this rate, I would say the growth is not excessive, but it is also growing above the recent inflation rate, which is good for consumption as real earnings are actually increasing. And overall, I got to say, though, I mean, I, I would say this report is not very exciting as it really just kind of shows us what we've been talking about, that the labor market is softening, but it still remains in a good spot overall. And, and that's, it's not exciting, but it's a positive because we don't want exciting in the job yep. market because that would cause the Federal Reserve to increase rates even more. So I, I think this is an exciting report because it's so dull. Yeah. <laughs> that's a positive thing. Uh, it's, it's what we needed. Yeah, it wasn't really good or bad, which is right. what we call that Goldilocks situation where, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold. Right. And when you did have still, what, 187,000 jobs added, that's still a positive. I mean, I would even be okay with a flat jobs report because that means everybody's keeping their job. We don't want to see that reverse and have 200,000 jobs lost. So we're still on the positive side. Even a increase or decrease, we'll say, of 10 to 20,000 jobs would still be okay, probably even better because the Federal Reserve would probably then really kind of pull back. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, they, they say bad news is good news yeah. at times, so yeah. it, it's it's something to, to consider there. And I, I still think I, I'd like to see somewhere, if we get to a spot where we're adding like 50,000 jobs, yeah. that'd be, I think, a, a great spot. I mean, you can't go to 3% unemployment, 2.5% unemployment. That's just not going to happen. So, you know, you have to understand that that slowdown is going to occur. And you talk about leisure and hospitality, out of like 17,000 jobs. I mean, at the beginning of the year, they were averaging like 67,000 jobs. So, I mean, yep. things are slowing down, which is overall positive because we don't want to overheat. And that's where inflation comes in. And that's where, oh, my gosh, what do we do to now combat that inflation? We've got to raise rates even further. Right. That's what could be troublesome. I don't see that happening. And, and they say around a three, three and a half percent, uh, actually three and a half percent, it's pretty much full employment because yeah. you got people that just don't want to work or they got laid off or quit and they just want to take time off. And, and you, you'll you never have a zero percent unemployment. You're always going to have some people unemployed. And, and I, I think around three and a half percent is what they consider full employment. You got everybody working that wants to be working. Well, and you have to consider the thing with the unemployment rate is it's based off a survey, which is kind of funny. It's like, yeah. hey, have you been looking for a job? Yeah. What have you done? I just, I don't know. I looked at an ad. Right. Okay. You're looking. unemployed. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's not a perfect science, and that's why you got to look at all the different numbers. So, you know, you're, you're not, that 3.5% includes people that are very loosely looking for jobs, and they, they may not need one, but like, yeah, I kind of looked. And, and it could be people where, you know, you know, a couple and the housewife, uh, she didn't have to work, but yeah, I'll, I'll go to get a job, find this job I kind of like, and that job ended. She doesn't really have to work or want to work, but she's looking for something she really wants because she doesn't have to. Uh, and, and, and again, 
that's where it is. And there's other people, too, that uh, are maybe retired. And they don't have to work, but they do. And then the same situation, they, they might lose that job because for whatever reason, yeah, I don't need the job, but if I found something I liked, I would do it. So that, that's what you kind of get to. You don't have the people that have to have a job. So yeah. with that, let's talk about job openings because in the month of June, uh, about 9.58 million were below the estimate of 9.7 million, and they were at the lowest level since April 2021. Compared to last June, that they were down 12.6% or by 1.4 million openings. This sounds troubling, but it's important to understand there are still 1.6 job openings out there for every available worker. Also, even with the decline, we still have a very strong labor market. I mean, you got to, again, look back to history. And I, I've talked about this a lot with COVID. You've had these wild spikes and, and we're kind of normalizing in the economy. Because if you look back to February 2020, job openings totaled just 7 million. And obviously this is before COVID. In 2019, they averaged 7.2 million per month. Again, 9.58 is where we are. We're still 2.38 above what right. we averaged in 2019, which many considered a very strong economy. Also, you look at layoffs, they were a positive in the report, as in June, they came in at just 1.5 million. Sometimes, oh my gosh, that's a lot of layoffs. Well, <laughs> it's all relative. You have to look at numbers compared to other numbers. In February 2020, again, before COVID, layoffs were close to 2 million. And in 2019, they averaged 1.8 million per month. So the labor market, as I said, well, it's going to continue to soften as the economy normalizes from COVID that really disrupted things just a few years ago. And one thing I learned a long time ago, a number means nothing at all unless you have something to compare it to. And a lot of people say, oh, God, no, wow, 1.5 million, that's a lot. No, it is not a lot when you compare it to, again, 2019, uh, very strong economy, which we have now, uh, but it was much more than that. It's what, uh, about 20% more. So uh, you, you've got to understand numbers and how to analyze them. And that's, that's what we do here on the radio show. That's what we do in our newsletter. That's what we do when we manage our clients' money is we analyze the numbers and say, wait a minute, what does that mean? We always say, why? Not just, oh, that's what it is. Like, no, why? And how, what can we compare it to to see how does it make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what I was saying just here shortly ago where, you know, people will always try and look for the bad. Right. And they're like, oh, that's bad. Well, why is it bad? I mean, there's so many other good things. And, and we've talked about this a lot where if you pick one point, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to invest. We don't live in a utopia where everything's right. perfect. It's just not the reality. And quite frankly, if you invest that way, your investment returns are going to be terrible over the long term. Because as I said, you're going to sit in cash pretty much your whole life because right. there'll it's, never be anything that is going to be a viable investment to you. You're, you're nervous Nelly, as they call it, and you're always going to be nervous because there's always something to worry about and you'll never invest. And and again, a, a bad number can be good because we talked about now where the Federal Reserve wants to see things slowing down. So here's another thing with the job openings. They're slowing down, but still one point, what I say, 1.6 a uh, job for every uh, job opening uh, or, or person looking, that's still phenomenal. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, let's go ahead and over the phone lines. We've got one more thing to talk about, but the phone number is two here. things, but. Oh, two things? Yeah, we got the yellow trucking company as well. Okay, I always forget to give out the phone number early. So I'm going to do it now since I'm on that track and people cool. have to wait a little bit. But uh, if, if you want to uh, join the show, uh, call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about, give us a call, 833-288-0973. 
Again, that's 833-288-0973. Be a little bit patient because I jumped the gun too quick. We got two subjects to talk about. And one is the shopping malls. It's no surprise that malls were big, uh, were big 10, 20 years ago. Well, they're now struggling. That has caused a problem where malls are now worth 50 to 70% less than the valuation peak, which was back in 2016. Roughly 20% of all malls financed through commercial mortgage-backed securities are underwater because the loans are much bigger than the value of the property. What has been hurting the malls is large anchors like Macy's, JCPenney, and Sears have nearly closed, have closed nearly 900 department stores between 2018 and 2020. Now, looking at this compared to 2016 to 2017, there's a huge jump. As during that time frame, they closed just 175. So 900 compared to 175. I mean, that's <laughs> a huge, huge difference. Hard for those malls to handle that. But very important to understand, not all malls will go out of business. What has worked is newer, well-located properties that have strong tenants and have generated healthy traffic. A good comparison here in San Diego would be the North County Fair in Escondido, which looks like a ghost town compared to Fashion Valley, which is in the middle of a remodel and still has a good amount of traffic and stores worth going to. I would caution investors to be wary of trying to pick up bargain prices on these properties. I'm sure some will survive, but I would say overall in five years, we'll see many less balls that just are not worth risking the capital at this point. And, and it is true. I mean, and, and I don't, I, I understand what, uh, when I read what I was reading, but I don't understand like a Fashion Valley and right now you go down there. It is terrible because I got the construction in the middle and so forth. And there's still people there, but I, I try not to be in the sun because, well, sun's not good for you. You get skin cancer and so forth. Where you go to North County Fair, it's all inside, which is better. But it's, it's, it is like a ghost town out there. Maybe it's because of location too with Fashion Valley is more centralized and North County Fair is just North County. You got to remember, we live in San Diego. Right. I hate going to that mall that's inside. I like being outside. <laughs> I mean, I, I was You'll regret that one day when you get skin cancer. Oh, there's still... <laughs> a little bit of sun is good for you. Actually, that's true. You got to get your vitamin D. Vitamin D, okay. But not excessive amounts of sun. That's what you got to look out for. But I was going to say, I was surprised you used Fashion Valley because I like UTC. I think UTC. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite mall in San Diego, uh, personally. I, you know what I hate about UTC? Is you gotta pay to park and you gotta wait to get in and out. I mean, it's just irritating. If you're me. there for less than I think two hours, yeah, but you're still free. gotta wait in those lines to get in and get out. Yeah, I know, but it's always packed. Right. I mean, it's a busy, busy yeah. mall. But I was gonna say, I mean, relating <laughs> this back to the investments is, you know, there's like a, a Simon Property Group. Right. They own a lot of great properties, and I, gosh, I was looking at them because I was intrigued. I was like. We did this actually, I'll give a little secret here, we, we did this with an office real estate investment trust because we think there's very similar situation that everything's just kind of being tossed out right now. And if you can find the good properties that are survived, they'll be fine. And right. you're getting bar bargain prices for the good properties. You don't want to buy the bad properties at bargain prices because they may not last. But Simon Property Group, yeah, their, their balance sheet just doesn't make sense to me. Their debt to equity looks way too high. Now, there could be some just accounting to that, but it, it's... Something that would take a lot more research. Yeah, because we hold uh, <clears throat> a couple of REITs in our portfolio. And, and if I was going to be investing in a REIT that held uh, shopping malls, I would really want to know what areas they're in. And you really got to do a lot of research because, again, we talked about UTC and Fashion Valley both doing extremely well. But um, uh, North County Fair is not. I don't know. We, we don't go to East County. There's one out in East County, too. Um, a gross I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, some do extremely well. 
and I don't see them turning around. Yeah. Um, I, and, and that's the problem. We, we try to find businesses that we see are having a short-term problem. I don't think it's a short-term problem. Uh, and there will, there will always be some type of malls like the Fashion Valley's, UTC's, but there's going to be a lot less and you've got to be careful to invest in the wrong ones. And I do want to point out, I don't go to UTC because of the shopping. I, I was just thinking, I mean. Well, you and I don't <laughs> like to shop. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing that I think UTC has done, well, they have so many great restaurants there. And that's where, where I kind of go. And I, I think about, you know, the North County Fair. They have BJ's, but I, they have Red Robin, which I used to love yeah. Red Robin. I don't even know if they actually still have the Red Robin. <laughs> I have been up there in so long. But, I mean, UTC has, you know, the winery. They have Javier's. Uh, they now have, like, Born Brew. They have a bunch of different, like, restaurants that are just really good. That's why I like going there. Yeah, m- m- more for the restaurants. And, and, and that's where the experience comes into play. And those are going to be the malls that are going to survive, not the ones that I think are just relying on, Transactions, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to create that experience to get people there. And and I I like Tommy Bahama shirts. They got a restaurant there. I, I just like going there. So again, you're you're right. It's for the restaurants and the experience uh, of going there. But I I hate shopping. So, all right. Uh, let's move on to uh, trucking company. We're talking about the trucking company Yellow, which was forced into bankruptcy because of three things, in my opinion. The first was bad bad management, which caused a second problem of acquiring companies and piling on debt. This includes acquisitions like in 2003 when they bought Roadway for $1 billion, and just two years later, they bought USF for nearly $1.4 billion. Number three was labor costs that were pushed to high levels by unions and their 22,000 workers. Now, important to understand, approximately 7,000 employees were actually non-union. And this company actually filed bankruptcy in 1951. Then again, in 2010, they wiped out most of the shareholder value to get the union to agree to cuts of benefits and pay. They also had issues with bankruptcy in 2014 and once again during COVID in 2020. So this is by no means a company that has been healthy for a long time. time. The company may still continue to operate in bankruptcy, but the shareholders will likely lose most, if not all, of their money. Also, old contracts are worthless, and the bondholders may get some type of a deal. Roughly half of the company's $1.5 billion in outstanding debt was actually owed to the federal government, who loaned the company money during COVID to keep them afloat. And, and this is why, at our firm, we just pay close attention to the balance sheet and debt levels, because you never want to be stuck with a business. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, gosh, I went bankrupt. Screwed. Yeah, you, you, you pretty much lose everything. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see one that, yeah, they like, like before. And we had yellow truck before you came over. I, I bought it. We did okay on it. And then I started seeing the problems. I started seeing the leveraging of the balance sheet. And we got out. I, I, I know we took a loss of, I don't know, 30, 40% or something on it. But they did go uh, virtually bankrupt, and they wiped out the shareholders again. So you, you, this is why we do spend time looking at the numbers why when we buy a company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research before we invest into it. And after we get that business, every week, we look at the numbers of the company, of all the companies we hold in the portfolio. Every quarter, we go over what's going on with the financial statements, what's going on with the conference call, what's going on with the business, because you're an owner and you've got to watch that business. I always use a comparison that if you had the local 7-Eleven, you're not going to buy it and then not go there for a year or two. No, you're going to go there once in a while. Is the parking lot full? What's going on? Why, why is this here? You know, why is the inventory low? You're going to look at that business. The same thing we do just because we own a small piece of that large business. We still do it that way to make sure that we don't fall into a yellow truck where we lose everything. Yeah, and I, I did want to point out for people too. It's like, oh my gosh, 30,000 people lost their job. I talked about the, the layoffs at, right. you know, 1.5 million. So 30,000 is a very small portion of that. And also too, I look at just 
you know, I kind of compared it. Uh, I did a segment on Fox 5 this past Wednesday talking about what to do if you lose your job that was prompted by the situation. And I was just kind of curious. I mean, you look at companies like FedEx and UPS, they each employ over 500,000 people. So Yellow Truck wasn't a big company. And I said it wasn't like they were a well-run company right. that all of a sudden fell into hard times. I mean, they've been troubled for many, many years. And, and, and that business will find its way somewhere else. And, and again, they can operate in bankruptcy. It gives them time to, well, there's, there's different type of bankruptcies. I haven't read which one it is yet because we don't follow this company. But that business still has to be fulfilled. And they, they actually did what they called, uh, was that light truck loads or something to where they don't fill up the whole load with one company. They can go to Walmart, pick up a partial load there, go to CVS, you know, so that was their, their niche. They kind of did. Somebody else has to pick that business up because Walmart, CVS, all these companies still need to get their, their inventory to the stores. Yeah. Less than a truckload. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's something that I'm not really worried about it hurting the economy at all. No, no, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it is such a small amount. And, and those people will find other jobs. Um, and I'm trying to think who the big trucking company is that is out there that's going to take over for Yellow Truck. Uh, I, I mean, <clears throat> it might not be another. I mean, because you got to think, too. I mean, there's going to be the assets with the trucks. There's going to be the workers. There's going right. to be uh, – they also had logistics there as well, which I know FedEx, UPS do the logistic part. So it could be dispersed among many different things. I mean, you have your Amazons, your FedExes, your UPSs mm. that could maybe be buying those assets. And then you have, you know, your, uh, gosh, what is it? I think it's Knight or Swift. Or, there's one other uh, trucking company. Yeah, that actually I can't think that. of what the other trucking company is, but, so. they, but they'll benefit from that. So so actually maybe if that's a public company, the other one, they should have a big benefit because, oh, well, let's give them the business. So they should see an, an uptick in their business. But yeah. I, I can't think of what the other big one is. There's also small companies, small businesses that, yeah. that could be vying for that more regional business as well. True, true. So, all right. Well, uh, all this information comes from our newsletter. The newsletter goes out uh, every Friday at 5 o'clock. Uh, there's more on the newsletter. We talked about uh, counterfeiting um, over the last nine months. The Secret Service um, has, uh, gosh, I can't flip the page. It's <laughs> a uh, uh, Fifty-two million of hundred-dollar bills that paces fact bills, fake bills. We'll talk about that in the newsletter. Electric vehicles. We talk about the recession. We talk about um, the profits with Anheuser Busch, Tesla stocks. So many different things on there. <clears throat> it goes out uh, every Friday at five o'clock. You can get it on our website. Go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com. It is free. All you have to do is sign up for it. And a lot of people have really been going to that newsletter because they like it. It's, it's, they said it's short, concise. I get a lot of information out of it quick. It's, you know, they say it's really well written. So. Yeah. Yeah. And real quick before we go to the calls, I did want to say something that we've been talking about a lot, and it's just the concentration of the market right. and the impact that Apple can have on the market. Oh, yeah. You know, you look at Apple's a huge component of all three indices, the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P. With Apple being down 4.8% yesterday, it really weighed heavily on all three of those indexes yesterday. And something to keep an eye on. And it was funny, I was watching CNBC yesterday, and this analyst was on, and he goes, yeah, I, Apple, I think they did a phenomenal quarter. And what? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, the haters were proved wrong yet again. And the anchor goes, the haters? What haters? Everybody loves Apple. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's just funny because it, it was like, what are you talking about? Like, there's no short position on Apple. Like, there's right. there's not any, which is one reason we don't like it is because everybody loves it, loves it. which all of a sudden problems start to ensue. People say, yeah, you know, I'm going to take some profits. I'm going to take it. And there's not really a bottom that's found until Apple falls. I mean, it still trades at 30 times earnings. And now it looks like they're going to have four consecutive quarters based off their guidance of declining sales, which is not a good spot to be for a company that trades at 30 times And that's earnings. declining on the growth of the sales. Or sales, no. actually, sales actually declining. declining not oh, wow. decelerating, declining. Wow. And it, we're talking about 1% to 2% year over year. But if you're trading at 30 times earnings, you can't be having declining sales. And it's still coming from their iPhone sales, right. which are still such a big part of it. But people are all excited about their service revenue. Service revenue is up 8% year over year. It, it's not, in my opinion, justifiable to trade at 30 times earnings. Yeah, and, and I've not <clears throat> read deeply on the, the conference call, but I, I have listened to some different people, read a little bit on it. Um, I, I question the same thing. This is what we said with that great company. I mean, oh, I, yeah. we both have Apple phones. You have the uh, Apple computer. I have an iPad. Great products. But again, as a business goes, you shouldn't be paying such a high price for a business that is actually declining in sales, not increasing. And I think they do a great job of sugarcoating it but uh, it, it's just one that I don't see. And people think, oh, Apple will never go down. Well, it, it will because eventually it, it, the truth comes through and people eventually will say, you know, I, I just think maybe Apple won't do as well. And they'll start selling it. A lot of people and sold on Friday. There was actually some, <clears throat> they were talking about on CNBC because it, it's still a lot of the retail crowd and, and people they were talking about on CNBC saying, you know, are people maybe going to be selling Apple to buy Amazon now because it's, we don't have as much money in the economy, so you have to start making harder choices right. at the end of the day on your investments. You can't just throw money at anything and it goes up because our money is starting to contract in terms of the money supply. So they're saying it's like, well, these retail investors might be saying, oh, yeah, Apple's just not going to grow as much. And then Amazon report, they report a good quarter, still too expensive for us to invest in. Yeah, still 50 times earnings. And they're over the last three years, you're still actually down on your investment in Amazon. It hasn't done very well, but they're saying, you know, maybe the money will start moving around there. And it, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it could be that catalyst where it starts to take Apple down slowly over time because there needs to be more money coming to Apple. And the problem is when everybody loves it, who is left to buy it? Yeah. And, and that, that's what we said. You, you've got to have that downturn to have people start selling it before you get a good value. And then you don't want anybody loving it because that means people are going to start selling it. And, and Amazon, just quick comment on that one. Um, they talked about how great the AWS, their, their, their cloud services was. I think it was up 8%. Uh, well, I remember before they were, had such a high multiple because it was like 20 to 30% growth. So, yeah, they're still growing, but 8% growth for a 50-time multiple? I don't know. I thought their growth on that was better. I know the stock was up close to 10%, but, uh, or it might have been on, on AWS. Is I, thought ADA, I thought AWS had grew more than 8%. Um, that's what I thought I heard. Yeah. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, So, but I, 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 I believe that's what it was, and you can probably look at it uh, yeah. if you want to. But... Um, it, it, Either it, way, trade at fifty times earnings. It's 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 just too expensive for right, us. Right, right, and and uh, yeah, and, and I've we've kind of looked at it like, oh, it's down. Should we buy it? Mm, nope, still too expensive. So, yeah. but we'll watch those. All right, uh, well, let's go to the phones here. Phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go down to Bonita and speak with Milt. Milt, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Well, good morning, and thank you for being there, you guys. You guys put on a, a wonderful uh, educational program, which I really appreciate. Well, thank you. Um, 
The stock I'm looking at and have looked at is VICI. It's a gaming uh, stock out of uh, Las Vegas, and it, I believe it owns the Bellagio and the Mandalay, and also getting into golf courses, and it looks like the PE is, is pretty reasonable, around 14, and pays a nice dividend. Uh, my question kind of is, uh, is that a qualified dividend, or is that just a return of cash situation? We'll, we'll actually we'll answer that question for you. It's not a qualified dividend because it's a REIT, so it is yeah. fully taxable. So yeah, yeah. Okay. so. But if you hold right. it in other accounts, like retirement accounts, retirement accounts. It, that's yeah. helpful. So, but let's look at the numbers yeah. here for you, uh, Milt. There uh, again, the company is Vici. Uh, their symbol is V I C I. They're in a REIT diversified industry is where they're at. Uh, about two point six percent short on the float, so people aren't shorting this this uh, REIT at all. Uh, we do see the P.E. ratio about 13.9 versus 28. That's a positive. Price to sales are expensive, 9.3 versus 6. Price to tangible book value, 1.3 versus 1.1. That is good. And price to cash flow, 15. That's slightly above the industry at 13. But you got a good peg ratio, 1.8 versus 25.6. And the lower the peg ratio, the better. Now, we do see right. that the earnings over the last year are up 136%. Sales climbed by 79.4%. Those are pretty high numbers. You want to understand why those are so high uh, before you invest in the company. You do get a nice dividend of 5%, and they only use about 70% of their earnings to pay that out, so that's a positive. Now, this is a REIT, so you got some strange numbers here. The current ratio is 29.5 versus 6.5. You really got to look at the, the financial statement to understand this a little bit more. Uh, debt to equity is okay, 0.7, same as the industry. Net profit margin is 65%, and then uh, that compares the industry at 10.5. Uh, Return to equity is 9% versus 7.5. Chase, what do you got? So current price here for, again, Vici, ticker symbol is V-I-C-I. Well, it's $31.06. 52-week high here is $35.69, and the 52-week low is $28.49. If you go out to December 2024, very important, again, with REITs, or the Real Estate Investment Trust, we look at FFO, or Funds from Operations, kind of more of a proxy for cash flow, since, again, real estate companies have a lot more depreciation, which is going to weigh on their earnings. So we look at the, again, FFO, which stands for Funds from Operations. But we go out to December 2024, that FFO estimate is $2.56. It gives us a target sell price here of $42.50. So, I mean, the valuation on this company is is very strong. And even with the taxation of that dividend, it's still a 5% yield. So, comparatively, on an after-tax basis, your, your yield is still going to be pretty darn good, I mean, depending on your tax bracket. I will say as well, you know, living in the lovely state of California, it doesn't matter what type of <laughs> dividend you get. It's going to be taxed yeah. on that yeah. tax bracket anyway. So... Uh, it's just more on the federal side where your federal tax bracket lies. Yeah, and, and this is one of those investments that, that I think is a good investment. Uh, I think the company's on sale, the REIT's on sale now. I, I would not expect a 30 40% return, but with that nice dividend, where they invest their money, how they invest their money, I mean, I think long-term, you're pretty happy with this, getting a 10 maybe a 15% average return per year. I mean, their, their growth on the business has been phenomenal. I mean, they, they've done a lot of acquisitions, I know, and their sales and their FFO has is, is, is grown tremendously over the last few years, and it looks like that growth is still has a, a runway. It's not going to grow at the same pace, but again, you can get mid to high single-digit growth on FFO, the cash flow. Is, is a good business to hold. Yeah. So, uh, so we, they're, getting in, they're getting into golf courses also, aren't they? 
Yeah, they're doing some different things there besides just uh, casinos and gaming. So, yeah, they are trying to expand a little bit into other areas. So um, right. it's just a well-run business. They, they have done acquisitions. I don't know if they'll do any in the future, but it, it's just one that is, it's, I don't say it's a sleeper, but it's one that you can invest in. Don't look at it. I think in uh, two, three years you'll wake up like, oh, yeah, we did okay on that one. Yeah, it's not one that yeah. I think would double yeah. this year or anything, but, you know, you get a nice 5% yield, as Brent said. Hey, I mean, you get 5%. Plus, let's say you get three to four percent growth on that stock price. I mean, shoot, that's an eight nine percent return on on your capital. That's not bad. Yeah, and what, and then when, if you do gamble, you go to Vegas, you feel a little bit better because you're spending your money on what you invested. <laughs> I know, in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they can take my money, but they're going to have to pay some of it back to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Well, well, uh, so let us know if you buy it or not. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I already did actually. Okay. All right. So, well, look at look at MOD. Modine sometime, M-O-D. I talked to Chase years ago about, about that one, but just put that on your calendar and take a look at that. Yeah, that's, a a very that's a very, very interesting play. Yeah, I that was I Part of my family invested in that to, to, to begin with back in the 1800s. So anyway, oh, wow. thank you guys so much, okay, and uh, appreciate your show. Okay, Mel, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye thank bye. you. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, I do see that Jim in San Diego is, is on the line, but uh, I also see Harrison, our financial planner, is here as well. So, so let's go ahead and, and uh, talk to Harrison, our financial planner. Uh, good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. I, I'm looking at today. You're talking about uh, today. Uh, home and auto insurance. This is a very hot topic here and in Florida. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Uh, let's talk about those uh, two things there. Yeah, what got me talking about this, there's a lot of carriers who are leaving California. Um, State Farm, Allstate are some of the bigger ones, but there's a lot more. Um, so what people are finding is they're either unable to renew their insurance or their premiums have gone up a lot in the last few years or they're trying to change coverage, um, and they're finding that a lot of companies aren't selling new policies in this state. So when you're shopping for insurance, it definitely helps to work with a broker who is contracted with multiple carriers as opposed to an agent who works just with one company, um, even though right now it can still be tough. Um, as far as some of the details of the coverage to look over, one of the things to look at are the deductibles that you have. So if you submit a claim, you have to pay the full deductible before the insurance coverage kicks in. I personally like higher deductibles because home and auto claims aren't that common, which means you shouldn't be paying that deductible too often, um, and a higher deductible will lower your premiums. So right now with premiums going up, that's one way to help offset that. Uh, next, another thing to take a look at is your liability coverage. So this protects you if you get sued because you cause a car accident or if someone gets hurt at your house or something like that. This is an area you don't want to go too cheap on. For homeowners insurance, I would say you want at least three to $500,000 of liability coverage. And for people with um, larger amounts of money, higher net worth, you, you might want to add some umbrella insurance to that as well. And then for auto insurance, it's illegal to not carry liability coverage, but the state minimum is pretty low. In California, it's 15000 per person, 30000 per accident, and $5,000 in property coverage. Um, but if you get in an accident, the damages are almost guaranteed to be more than that, um, and you can be personally sued to cover the excess. For auto, 
you want at least $100,000 a person, two fifty dollars an accident, and $100,000 liability coverage for a property. Um, next, another thing to take a look at is your uninsured or underinsured liability coverage on your policy. This protects you if someone else causes the accident, but they don't have insurance or they don't have enough. Um, in California, one in six drivers don't carry insurance at all, not to mention how many just have the minimum uh, coverage. So this is something that's, that's really important that a lot of people don't think of. Um, I have a story about two months ago, my brother-in-law was hit by a drunk driver um, who was on a suspended license, had multiple DUIs, did not have any insurance, so a real upstanding citizen, and um, it almost killed my brother-in-law. He had to be airlifted to a hospital, surgery after surgery, trying to put him back together. Um, but fortunately, he had uninsured liability coverage that came in and paid for his medical bills. So um, it's definitely something to be aware of. I think a lot of people don't know how common it is for people to not have insurance. Um, so I think every year or so, it's good idea to take a look at your home and auto coverage, make sure it has the coverage that you need. Um, and then right now, definitely makes sense to, to shop around a little bit to, to make sure you've got the best deal. Now, Harrison, I mean, you don't sell insurance, but when you have people come in uh, for a financial planning consultation, become a financial planning client, uh, is this an area that you also look at? Yeah, this is definitely something that I look at. Every policy, I'll take a look at the coverage, um, the you know the deductibles, how much coverage you got for for everything, um, what premiums you're paying, what uh, company that you're with, and then you know I'll point out if if I see something that needs to be changed. There's a couple different brokers that I work with, um, and so you know I can look at it from an unbiased perspective and say, hey, this is something that you might be able to reduce the premium on, or hey, this coverage looks a little lacking. You might want to um, you know go back to your carrier and have them adjust that or, you know, talk to a broker about um, switching companies. Good. All right. Well, that's, uh, I think, a very good point for people because I think a lot of people don't realize that, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And they may have bought the house years ago. Their net worth has gone up and they kind of didn't know about the umbrella policy, all these different things. I mean, it's, it's a very important part because uh, your chances of having that happen are low, but if they happen, it could wipe somebody out. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So you, I mean, Insurance, unfortunately, is necessary, um, so it, it does serve a purpose, and you want to make sure you have the right amount of coverage and you're not paying too much for it. Great. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, you have a great uh, great day, and we'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, again, that's Harrison Johnson. He's our financial planner. He's a CFP. He's on a salary, so he doesn't sell annuities or life insurance. He really is doing a true financial plan for you. If you want a free consultation with him, give him a call at the office. 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or you can contact him by email. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And again, you can set that free consultation with him about financial planning. All right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. I did want to mention just real quick. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but uh, for my charity, the golf golfers, yes. golfers. If you're a golfer out there, I think you'll have a great time. Actually, I know you'll have a great time at my golf tournament. This is what the third or fourth year. This is the third year. Third year, and every time it's gonna. Everybody says what a great golf tournament it is. Great, great tournament. We got prizes. We have gift bags. So it's a lot of fun, and it's a nice day on the course at the Ranch Bernardo Inn. It's two weeks from today, so August nineteenth, and again, all proceeds go to my charity, the Fighters Fight Foundation, which is a breast 
breast cancer charity that provides uh, unforgettable experiences to women battling breast cancer. So uh, a lot of fun. Just want to put it out there for, for people that are golfers because it's a, it's a nice time in San Diego. And I think it's one of the more reasonably cost mm-hmm. tournaments in the uh, San Diego area. It, it doesn't break the buck, or the, 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 the bank. bank. And uh, I think your fund per dollar is very, very high. Yeah, So I think so. And how do they sign up for it? How do they get a hold of you? That's probably a great idea. Yeah, just go to the website there. It's fightersfightfoundation.com. Again, it's fightersfightfoundation.com. If you have questions, you can always contact me at the office at Will's Asset Management as well. <laughs> and what is that phone number? 858-546-4306. All right. Phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. We had Jim that called in, but uh, he, he had to go. We saw he, he dropped off the lines. But he wanted to talk about Cigna. So we'll, we'll look at Cigna for Jim here in San Diego. Uh, their symbol is CI, they're the healthcare plans. Uh, institutional ownership is 89.4, and uh, we got numbers here already as of June 30th. So the PE ratio on Cigna, 13.1, well below the industry at 21.1. Price to sales, 0.5 versus 0.7. Price to book value, 1.9, below the industry at 3, which is a positive. And price to cash flow, 6.7 versus 8.1. Peg ratio is only 1. That's about a third of the industry at 2.9. So all the valuation ratio is looking pretty good here. Now, we do see some great growth. We got our earnings grew over the last year by 30.3% above the industry at 20.4. Uh, sales, unfortunately, only up 3.8%. The industry was up 11.7. Uh, the five-year estimated growth rate from analysts, 11.1%. That's pretty good. We do see the industry will, will be up about 115 they pay a 1.7% dividend, only use 21% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, they're insurance companies, so balance is a little bit different. No current ratio. Debt equity, 0.7 versus 0.8. Net profit margin for Cigna, well, that's 3.6 versus 3.1. And return to equity, 14.6. We generally like to see it around 15, but I'm okay with the 14.6. Case? Looking at the current price here for Cigna, again, ticker symbol is CI. It's $286.58. The 52-week range, well, it's $240.50 as the low, $340.11 as the high. Year-to-date, the stock's down about 10.86%. Now, if we go forward for the company, we go out to, again, December 2024. Having some technical difficulties over here, switching over. So let me get that number. There we go. It's $28.27 is the estimated earnings per share. So if we use our estimated multiple of 16.6 on that, we get a target sell price of $469.28. I mean, the the company trades at 10 times future earnings, essentially. Right. I mean, it, it's it's a great value. And I mean, the growth here is, is pretty nice as well. I mean, the company is looking for about 6.5% growth this year. 14% growth on earnings next year. Less analysts going out to 2025, but 12.6% growth that year as well. And you actually look at the company. I mean, they talk about it trying to achieve that double-digit earning growth over time. Right. I mean, gosh, a 10 times earnings multiple and double-digit earnings growth? Wow, that sounds <laughs> like a pretty darn good deal to me. And, and year-to-date, the s and is up 17.5. Uh, they're down 12.7% year-to-date. I mean, this is what we talk about things on sale. It doesn't mean you buy it today. And then tomorrow, like, oh, wow, I'm making all this money. It, it could take months for it to turn around. But, again, the way we look at things, saying you got, you're buying a great company with an aging population, with a rising cost of insurance, 
this is how they're gonna get that growth. So you wanna be invested in a company like this that's on sale now with good growth. Actually, I'm gonna counter that because that could actually hurt them as well in the short term because oh, what yeah. happens with the aging population is all of a sudden the costs start cost to rise. Up, yeah. But what happens is costs go up and they have to raise their prices to offset that. So right. that's where insurance, I mean, frankly, insurance companies are, are built to win because yep. they have to make money. We need insurance because you can't have somebody go in and all of a sudden they have a million dollar hospital right. bill. You can't afford that. So we need insurance and you know they need to stay in business. They need to stay profitable. And the big reason why they are so profitable and great investments is they take those premiums, they invest those premiums, they buy back a lot of stock. I mean, it, it's. I think insurance is a, a very good business to invest in because it's it's not necessarily simple. There's a lot of actuary right. tables and things that they got to look at, but the the design in the business is, I think, a good investment. And it's one that you'll have those peaks and valleys because, again, when claims go up, the price of the insurance going to go down. Whether it's uh, health insurance, property and casualty, auto, whatever it may be, um, and then what happens? They have to raise the premiums, and then they are profitable down the road. It's not a short-term trading vehicle or short-term investment. It's one that, I mean, gosh, we've had an insurance company in our portfolio now for I think like 13, maybe 14 years. It's done extremely well for us, but there's been bad periods. And during those bad periods, we say, hmm, on sale, let's yeah. buy more. Yeah. And then when it goes way up, we've actually paired it back because it has become over constraints. So we'll pair back a little bit. And then when it goes down, we'll use it for something else. Yeah, and it is interesting as well. I mean, uh, looking at the political side of it, mm -hmm. when you look at right now, generally, I was reading an article about it and talking about how health insurers don't do as well under, you know, Democrat presidency just because of the concerns from like your Bernie Sanders of Medicare right. for all. I still don't foresee that happening. I think that would be a disaster to have a government based insurance for that. I just don't think it's going to be a viable solution. So I think that, you know. They could get a pop next year. It's an election year as well. I mean, you have seen historically if a Republican comes in, again, based off this article, they, they do better during that time period as well. Yeah, yeah. And even during the down periods. I mean, because I think if we looked at uh, Cigna, uh, I think if we looked at it since uh, Joe Biden got in office. I do believe it's up since he got in office. So they just do well. Yeah. But you're right. They do better probably re Republican versus a Democratic, you know. And I'm going to let you know, don't buy it because Chase said there's going to be a Republican in <laughs> yeah. office next year. I'm just saying it's it's something that, that could be intriguing. I thought it yeah. was maybe a, I had this professor in college, used to call them tasty tidbits. Tasty tidbits. Yeah, it's a fun piece of information. So <laughs> 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 don't buy it for that reason. It was just, you know, something to consider for something next year. Something to consider. Buy the business because it's a good business that's on sale and it will do well whether a Democrat or Republican in office because of the type of business that it is. And, and also too, I don't see that, you know, how technology could ever replace this business. They can enhance the business, but yeah. never replace it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So, all right, gosh, phone lines are all open. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 0973. I did I did want to talk about Amazon too. I, sure, I did look that up because we brought it up earlier. Yes. What do you um got? I just some interesting numbers on it. So I, I it was worse than I thought, better than you thought. Okay. It came in at twelve percent in Q two was their AWS growth. And that's year over year or quarter. That's what it looks like is year uh year over year. Uh but that was a deceleration from the prior quarter when sales expanded sixteen percent on AWS. And this is actually the slowest growth since two thousand fifteen. For oh, AWS, yeah. So, so that's why I may have misunderstood the number, but I knew it wasn't good. 
And I do remember that they got that high multiple because, oh, yeah, the AWS is growing at, I think, 25. I think even I heard one time 40%. You know that growth cannot last. And 12%, good growth, but a deceleration of the growth, which what could it be next quarter? Because the thing with growth, too, is that, you know, there is more competition out there now for the cloud services. Your number is bigger to try to get that to grow, again, 12% next quarter over the previous year. It, it, it's not easy. It gets harder and harder. Yeah, and I, I did want to point <clears> out that the crazy thing, I didn't know this. I, I knew it was a big part of their business, but, you know, obviously the retail side of the business gets all the kind of headline yeah. in terms of driving sales. Right. But AWS accounted for 70% of Amazon's $7.7 billion operating profit. See, and that's very important because people say, oh, I love Amazon because I love their products and so forth. So you're telling me that well, about 30% uh, well, I think they have other businesses too, but they have advertising as well, which actually that that grew pretty nice, jumping twenty two percent in the quarter. That's ten point seven billion in sales. Right. So uh, I don't know in terms of profits, not breaking that out, but I mean they do have some other businesses, but the AWS is still what the is one. the ultimate profit driver there. So, so actually, the retail side, maybe about a quarter of the business comes from the retail side, which I believe is a money loser for them. I, I don't even think it's a quarter if they have the other businesses as well yeah. with advertising. And I mean, they have Prime, which is reoccurring revenue, but ultimately it's going to rise and fall based off AWS. And, you know, I I think about people that bought Amazon and they bought it for the retail side. Right. And it's like, oh, you missed Amazon. Nobody knew AWS was going to come about. Right. Amazon doesn't do well because of the retail business. The reason the Amazon stock has done well is because of AWS, which is quite frankly, no reason that people... 5, 10, 15 years ago, bought Amazon for yeah, no, it, it, They didn't even know about it or could understand it. So that that's one thing that you have to look at the business. Uh, and, and again, that's a, a great service when it, when you hear about it. And I think, uh, and, and I, I don't have Prime. I think you have it. My mm-hmm. other son, Nash, has it. Uh, we got we needed light bulbs for the house. And I think he ordered them in the morning. I'm pretty sure they came in the afternoon. Like, it's not even 24 hours anymore. It's just... It's amazing. I mean, they, they talked about it as well. They're, they're going from, a, I think, a hub-and-spoke model is what they called it, right. to a more regional-focused thing, and they're really getting good at that same-day delivery, which is, it's kind of scary how good they are at it, and they're kind of like pre-filling inventory based off of technology. And this is, again, talking about how technology can enhance things, is they're trying to pre-fill things and then have that inventory available. So then once people order it based off previous ordering records is then you can fill right. that much, much quicker. And, and, and I know my wife is a prime member. Every doggone day, there's at least one, if not two packages there. That, that's, that's why I don't want to sign up for it because it's too easy. You'll start spending money. I don't like to spend money. I like to invest money, not spend money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but if your wife's already a prime member, why in the heck would you need to be a prime member too? Oh, that's right. Well, I just got married a few <laughs> <Yeah>. weeks ago. <laughs> well, you guys have lived together. You don't need two prime memberships in one household. Can we use separate credit cards? Yeah, you can yeah. actually put different credit cards on there. Oh, well, maybe I should do that. Yeah. yeah. I'll get some benefit there. <laughs> Holy shit, not listen to the show. She never listens to the show. She doesn't, she doesn't like the show. She doesn't like investing. She just wants to go shopping all the time. All right, well, well let's look at that. We got quite a few callers coming in here. I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to go to because I see all flashing lights. He's giving me the hand to hold on for a second, so we'll, we'll just talk for another minute here. Um, and I would I would kind of want to go to Amazon to look at the numbers, but it's too early because the numbers won't be there yet. So maybe next week, uh, somebody calling about Amazon, so we can take a look at those numbers. But I, I, I still think it's way too expensive. I mean, the PE is still probably around 50. Even going forward, it'll give us another quarter, kind of look at those earnings going forward. I still don't think they're going to be worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it trades at 47 times future earnings. Uh, and, and 
but but that could change next week because analysts could increase earnings, increase earnings, maybe decrease earnings. I doubt it, but possible. Yeah. 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 Um, how, How many analysts do you, do you have that up? 45. Yeah. So, I mean, what could happen out of 45 analysts, you could have one or two that maybe drop following it that are on the high side or a few that say, yeah, you know, we don't think it's going to do as well. So I, I, I would, I hope that next week somebody calls in about Amazon and hopefully the numbers are updated so we can take a look at it. So, all right, we're ready to go to the phones. Okay, let's go to uh, Tony out in San Diego. Good morning, Tony. You're on the Smart Best Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gents. Uh, I recently uh, received a notice about uh, Johnson & Johnson um, making an offer to, uh, I guess, trade shares out with Kenview. And I wanted to understand how that works because it's not a typical spinoff. I mean, when, uh, usually when companies spin off, um, you just get shares in the new company. But in this case, they're actually offering to trade shares of Johnson & Johnson with Kenview. And I don't understand how that works or why they do that. Did you try to pull up Kenview, Chase? Yeah, I don't think it's a public company yet, public so company. we can't break anything down. But Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, that is not very common. Um, and what you really have to do is you've got to look at this Kenview to say, well, first of all, is this worth doing? Why is Johnson Johnson doing that? I'm trying to analyze on air. I can't think of why they would do that. Um, it, it, it's not making sense to me. And we could be missing something. Because uh, I'm sure if they, they offer that, you probably got like a 50-page perspective on what's going on behind there, which you get all the details. I think you have it's to read. 293 pages. Yeah, yeah. So, I, 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 <laughs> so, so read the 290 pages. Call us back next week. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean. The... <laughs> so essentially, I think what they're doing is taking certain of their consumer brands and spinning it off to this other company. So the Johnson & Johnson focuses more on um, – you know, new drug development and so on. Uh, whereas uh, Kenview would focus on the typical brands uh, like Band-Aid and so on from from the past. Um, I've seen this with a couple of other companies before where they've spun off the consumer side of the business and, um, you know, haven't really done all that well with the, uh, with the spinoff. But this isn't a spinoff. It's a, they've just created this new company and now they're offering to swap shares in it, uh, which seems very odd to me. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I don't think I would swap shares just because it, it's, uh, again, you don't have as much data that you have on a J and J where you have that, that business that is there and you'll have to see what happens. And, and I'm not sure I haven't looked at this, but I know that there was kind of some flack for J and J obviously around that talc, issue yeah and they were talking about spinning off a company who's going to have the liability of the talc powder powder situation because if it's kenview it's like i don't want that company no no <laughs> so i i would definitely want to look closer at that deal and I, I i'd have to assume kenview would take it because that sounds like i mean there it looks like they're going to have the neutrogenas you talked about the band-aids it, it's it's the the consumer side where j and j is going to have more of that uh pharmaceutical type businesses so I would assume the talc is carrying over to Kenview, but, you know, I haven't looked at that situation in a while. It's definitely something I would want to understand. Yeah, it's kind of like they're just trying to 
saying maybe people won't notice and the oh, yeah we'll do this kind of view, view deal but but even johnson johnson i'm looking at, i mean it's very expensive yep. i mean trades at 34 times earnings i mean that that's expensive you're not getting a deal there uh so maybe they're trying to move some things around i i don't like many times when companies do this it's too confusing you can't understand it no one's going to read that 300 page report um it, i like things simple so I, I would say based on what we're kind of looking at, I would not do the deal. I'd say, no, let me stay with what I know as opposed to risking going to something I don't know this can view. So, already? Okay. Very good. Well, thank you. Okay, Tony, thanks for calling. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, I'd say that was on the phone line, but we've got a few minutes left here. Uh, I mean, time just goes by so quick. Uh, I was going to talk about the counterfeiting. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before? I mean, I was just going to, I got a couple minutes. I was just going to carry on with the whole spinoff situation. It, yeah. it is interesting because it's important to understand <clears throat> that these spinoffs can work in different fashions. I mean, right. sometimes they, like uh, like with Warner Brothers and AT&T, when that spinout occurred, you just got the Warner Brothers shares yeah. and you could have sold them and bought an AT&T, but you got the shares. There wasn't really any other option, essentially. Right. So, you know, it, it's... One thing that you have to understand as an investor, when these happen, what do you do with that that spin out? Are, are you going to keep it? Are you going to sell it? And it's important you read the deal because there's going to be you know different types of deals that come about from the spin outs as well. And, and it, it's so important to really think about what you're doing or, or your investment advisor <clears throat> should be looking at w what to do with those because it's it you've got to analyze the current company and then the new company and say, well, what do I have here? Because many times you should sell off that spinoff because many times they take all the debt and they get all the crap. Um, but you've got to do the homework. You, you've got to look at it. And now you've got not one company to analyze, but two. And also how big of a position does it, I've seen this happen before, oh, people that yeah. keep that. And then all of a sudden it's like 0.5% of your portfolio. What's the point of even having that? I was going to say 0.1 to 0.2. Even yeah, lower. I was being yeah. generous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's definitely something that, that you want to understand is, you know, is it worth it to keep that business if it's such a small portion of the portfolio? Or, I mean, maybe if it's a good company, you add to it. Or you just sell it and buy back into that parent company with what you sold so you keep your allocation the same. I mean, there's so many different ways that it could head, but you, you got to look at all the numbers and, and look at, each situation individually. And we talk about being 0.5% or 0.1%, what it may be. For some people, that doesn't matter because they will have 50, 75, 100 positions in their portfolio, which we don't do that. We run a concentrated portfolio because we say you can't know much more than about 15 to 20 companies to really do good research. There's no way possible you could research properly 50 companies or 50 investments in your portfolio. So for some people like, well, what difference does it make? You know, I've, I've got 50 positions, so 51. But that's not, in our opinion, the right way to run a profitable portfolio. It should be more concentrated about the investments that you have. Well, and then that just gets confusing too. It's like, you don't even know what, I'll use Kenview. You don't even know what a Kenview does. Why do yeah. you hold it? It's not, not like a J and J where you actually know the name. It's like, what is this Ken? Like five years from now, you'd be like, what is this Kenview company? Right. <laughs> why did they do that? Yeah. So, and, and that's why our clients do feel very comfortable because they know that we know these businesses very well. You can call me or Chase anytime you want to. And well, what's going on with this? You can tell us. Well, this is closing bell. So thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you would like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions. Feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. Again, that's 
646-436-4306. Be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there. It goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock. It's there on the website now. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. To think.